film is one that I was quite looking forward to because it's a Hammer film, but it's sort of what we might call old school Hammer. Hammer was a, a British studio that specialised in low budget commercial features. And they, towards the end of the 50s, they homed in on doing horror movies. They did new colour versions of Dracula and Frankenstein, quite striking, quite interesting. And that sort of set the template for what Hammer was. But Hammer used to do make all kinds of movies, including cheap little, short little crime movies like this. And so you lent me this movie, and I think it's one of the best things that you've lent to me. And I'm really impressed with it. Uh, it's very low budget and quite cheap and quite studio bound, but it's so well photographed that it doesn't look, it looks quite convincing. And the photography is by a guy called Arthur Grant, who was a stalwart at Hammer. He did loads of those horror movies I was talking about, including favorites of mine, The Devil Rides Out and Quatermass in the Pit. So he was the sort of go-to guy. But notably in this film, there's the bit where they go down to the vault in the bank and the lighting in that is just wonderful. Anyway, it's black and white, which I always like. It's widescreen, so although it was black and white, I figured that it had to be, it couldn't be early 50s because it wouldn't have been widescreen. It turned out it's 1961, I think. Yeah. And it's got this beautiful polished look. It's it's like a luxury product, even though it's a cheapo movie. The cast is totally luxury too, but I like to just talk for a minute about the writers and the director because I'd never heard of any of them before. So I've looked them up. Okay, so the director is Quentin Lawrence, and his most notable credit from my particular kind of cult point of view is that he directed an episode of The Avengers, the British Avengers, nothing to do with the American comic books, called The Gravediggers. Uh, and I think that that might be one of the great early, I hope it's one of the great early black and white ones, because that's the period of The Avengers I love so much. He also did Danger Man, Gideon's Way, uh, tons and tons of classic British television, Red Cap, The Baron. This was pretty normal, though, for yeah. Hammer at the time, is that the majority of the directors were flicking between film series and films actual. And he did do much. The point about this guy, Quentin Lawrence, is that he was, apart from that feature, he was almost always a TV director, very seldom did any features. And I think that's quite true, because there's three writers' names on this. Uh, there's two screenwriters, and it's based on a stage play. And the stage play connection makes total sense because it's very set bound it's all set in this bank uh, during one afternoon and it's sort of a, a taut psychological suspense story that takes place in this limited uh, restrained environment which would make sense because it's based on a stage play the stage play was by Jacques Gillies and this is where it starts to get really interesting it, it screenplay is by two guys David T. Chandler and the reason I say it like that, it's not like Chandler, it's Chantler with a T. Uh, Louis Griefer, and they wrote the screenplay based on, on this play, as I said, by Jacques Gillies. But let's go, go through those names. So Jacques Gillies is the guy who wrote the play that it's based on. He was mostly a TV writer. So uh, almost all his other credits seem to be television scripts. So that was a sole kind of uh, stage play. But he worked on Danger Man as well. There's a, these guys all seem to have worked quite, you know, as you say, there are a lot of people working in these areas at the time. But it, I think I get the sense that they might have known each other, these chaps. Or certainly they would have known each other professionally because they're all moving through the same world. Now, we come to those two screenwriters. Louis Griefer, and this might interest you, worked on a Doctor Who story called Pyramids of Mars. 
Oh, you knew all that. Oh, yeah. of course you did. I thought I was going to be able to ambush you under the surname of, under sorry, the pseudonym Stephen That's, Harris. Right, but <laughs> but there's what's really cool is that he did he did an episode of The Prisoner, yeah, under a pseudonym of Joshua Adam. This guy was like pseudonym city. What was that about? Do we know what that was about? Uh, well, with um, Pyramids of Mars, obviously I know this. Uh, the script that he sent in. Robert Holmes rewrote to the point where a new name I've had. always thought of it as a Robert Holmes script. Hmm. Well, this is what happens with Robert Holmes's era. He wrote, rewrote almost everything. What so. is the on-screen credit? Is it Robert Holmes and? No, it's just Stephen Harris. Okay. But Holmes was script editor then, so he probably couldn't take credit. Yeah, but I, I never really thought of it as anything except a Holmes story. Interesting. No, I mean, same season, you've got a, a Terence Dick script that went out under Robin Bland as well. Okay. And the year before that, he rewrote uh, Ark in Space as well. Is Robots of Death from the same sort of period? Roughly, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so let me just finish by going through David T. Chandler. Now, I'm, as you might have, anybody who's listening to this might have heard me clicking on my laptop. I'm looking at IMDb, so I'm not like some oracle about this. So again, David T. Chandler, I emphasize that T, was very active in television. But the odd thing is, he was writing American, according to IMDb. Now, I'm not sure. I have two theories about this. One is that there's a David Chandler with a D, and a David Chandler with a T, and that IMDb has got the two of them confused because the guy with a T in his name works in British television, as did all these other chaps, did the screenplay for Cash on Demand, the movie in question. Uh, and then, then, according to IMDb, he goes back to America and works on all kinds of American TV shows, uh, including things like The Invaders. That was the one that struck out for me because that was a science fiction, paranoid science fiction TV show created by Larry Cohn, which I thought was really cool. So if this is the same guy, that's a fabulous connection. But because the name's spelled differently, I just wonder if they took this American TV writer who had a missing, who had a sort of gap in his, in his uh, filmography and plugged it with this British writer. Or it could be that he, he moved to Britain, worked there for a while, under a different name and then move back to America. IMDb is problematic. I've got porn credits on there, which I'm pretty sure I didn't do. And my friend Mark is called Mark Frost, so you can imagine the credits that he gets. Because he's the composer for the X-Files. Yeah. yeah. No. That was Mark Snow. Uh, Mark Frost was the guy that did uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, well, yes. So yeah. I'm even more confused now, but your principles stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I wouldn't trust IMDb no, no. too much, but yeah. But, but if it is the same guy, he got a fascinating pedigree. So that we've covered the sort of creatives behind this, and I can probably turn off my computer now, which is great. Good news for all of us. Yeah. But the reason I've sort of gone through that is I wanted to clear the decks before we talked about the cast, because the cast in this movie is wonderful. It's basically two actors that it's quite a small cast anyway because as we say it's based on a stage play and it's set in a bank very contained cast but it peter cushing and andrew morell are the two big names yeah and they are both they both got massive genre credits because uh, peter cushing he appeared in those aforementioned uh hammer horror films he, he i believe he was frankenstein wasn't he uh baron Baron von. I believe, yeah, he was not the monster. Not, yeah. the, 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 um, uh, he was he was quite often Ben Helsing as well. So. Yes, I was going to add that. So he had, did all those. He did a load of Sherlock. Was Sherlock Holmes from yeah. television? Uh, yeah. And was he Holmes himself? Yeah. Okay, so he did Sherlock Holmes. He also played. He was in the uh, 
the, the dodgy early Doctor Who movies, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. The Dalek movies. Uh, were they Amicus films? Yeah. Right? yeah. Milton Sabotsky. And I think he was Doctor the Doctor in those, yeah. wasn't he? So he, he's got the Doctor Who connection. But crucially for me, he also appeared in a Nigel Neal script, which was known on TV as The Beast, but was made into a movie, again by Hammer, as The Abominable Snowman, and Cushing is in that. And the reason that's my favourite connection is because the other big star of this is Andre Morel, who again appeared in a, a Nigel Neal classic because he was Quatermass in the original TV version of Quatermass in the Pit. Although it has to be said, he's way better in this because he's playing a bad guy and he's much more invested in it. I have to say this is the first film I've seen him in. I wasn't familiar with him. Did you like him? Y- yes. I mean, it's a superbly played role. Yeah. Um, it. I like charming, dangerous people. Right. So I think we should give a quick flavour of what the story is about. So... Oh, this will get it. This was one of your stealth Christmas movies too. Yes. Because this is the second time you <laughs> snuck a Christmas movie into this. Because what happens is it's this small town bank. It begins with this shot of Peter Cushing, who's the bank manager. He takes out his handkerchief and he polishes the sign of the, the brass. I mean, how many films bank. have we seen that in? Uh, have we ever seen that in a film? Oh yeah, the proud, the proud uh, man at his place of work rubbing the sign as he goes. So in. that's a cliche. Uh, I wasn't aware it was a cliche, but. But what we're establishing very rapidly is that this guy loves his job at the bank. So Peter Cushing is revealed as this bank manager who doesn't really like people. Like it's, he's, he's very snooty and cold with his staff. And I began to realise as the styrofoam snow falls outside and the, uh, the, the, the phony-looking Santa Claus rings his bell, this story is basically a Christmas carol but with bank robbers instead of ghosts. It's not far off it, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, is that a is that a, tr- a description that's been given of this film before? I've never seen any criticism or mention of this film oh, anywhere that's else. Very interesting. Well, I want to give it. I want to email my buddy Jonathan Rigby, who's a bit of a film scholar and knows Hammer films, and find out from him if there's other gems like this lurking. But it is because it's about this emotionally shut down guy who doesn't get along with people uh, and is aloof. And then through the ordeal that he's about to undergo, he becomes the same way that Scrooge warms up. He kind of warms up, and I think that the the people who wrote it, the, the playwright who originally wrote it, Jacques Gillies or whatever his name was, must have had that had Christmas Carol in mind. But so what happens is we establish this guy and his bank staff, which is like three or four other people, and then this posh, very confident posh chap turns up in a sports car outside. I've got to pause at this point because they cross the line when they they're parking the sports car. Crossing the line is this thing that. If you, when you're making a film, if you get the angle on something wrong, they appear to be going in the wrong direction. So the way he parks his car, it's on the wrong side of the road. I just have to share this with you because it bothered the hell out of me. Anyway, he gets out of his sports car, comes into the bank and starts kind of throwing his weight around because he's the man from head office come to check on these security arrangements. As our listeners will have guessed, he's a baddie and he's actually going to rob the bank. And the way he does this, I mean, I'm sure this has been done in other films and in real life too, but the film that I go to is a movie called The Friends of Eddie Coyle, because what they do in that is they go in to rob the bank and they take the manager and they get him to ring his home and he finds out that his family is being held hostage. So that's actually in The Friends of Eddie Coyle. They take his family hostage and then drive him to the bank. In this, they get Peter Cushing to ring home and he speaks to his wife, who's being wife and young son, who are being held hostage by the bad guys. And they have a particularly distinctive threat because 
what they're going to do to her is they're going to apply electrodes to her skull and basically give her ECT. Yeah. Until, yeah, which is such a specific and unusual threat. It's really quite, quite chilling. It, I think it's, it helps the plan that detail is everything. Ah, yes, you're and right. So, you know, rather than just say, yeah, we'll rough them up, whatever. An a very specific yeah. treatment makes all the difference. And again, it helps with Andre Morel's character is that he's been so charming up to this point that when anything like that is mentioned, when the explicitness of the act is mentioned, yeah. it, it has a much stronger impact. Because you're right, because he's very warm and charming and humorous. And he's just, he's this sort of great bluff all around bloke. But what it is, is he's just put the bank manager on the phone and he's now going to rob the bank or the bank manager's wife is going to get ECT'd like, uh, like the big chief in one foot of the cookie's nest, like really badly lobotomized. So that's the setup and it plays out in real time, I believe. Yeah. And it's very taut. And I think we should maybe talk spoilers a little bit too. Oh, it's impossible not to. I think we've already yeah. spoiled it anyway. Well, no, because you know that Andre Morel is going to try and rob the bank probably about five minutes in. But what and because this movie is from the time it it comes from, we know the bad guy is not going to get away with it. So the question is, how is he going to be thwarted? And the answer, well, the big twist is that that Andrew Morrell had never taken uh, the wife and child hostage. He'd, it's a bit implausible in retrospect, but he'd got yeah. some kind of actress to fake the, the and, and presumably young actor to fake the voices, and he'd created this tape recording, blah blah blah. So that's what they said. That, that but it's a good twist in the sense until you start to try and tease apart the methodology. Of it, it's it's a really great twist. Yeah, because what happens is Andrew Morel is thwarted, and once he's thwarted, instead of leaving Peter Cushing in torment, he just sort of explains to him. He's, he's, he's quite nice about that. He's, he's, he reveals what he did. He does go some way to setting up Peter Cushing, though. Because just he, yeah. he makes his, during the film, he has an insurance policy in place, which is that he can always blame Cushing as being an accomplice. And for a while there, it looks like he's going to let him do that. Because he's planted some of the stolen money on Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing doesn't know, but he's got a pocket full of five-pound notes that have been sold. But the point is... That wouldn't help morale. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily reduce his sentence. But he can take Cushing down with him. And from the viewer's point of view, we're, despite... This is the wonderful thing about Peter Cushing, is that despite the fact that he's playing such a straight-laced, hard-to-like guy... Yeah, exactly. He's, we're still on his side. Well, yeah, we're, we're really caught up in his plight. But as it happens, you were saying that that was morale's insurance policy to prevent being betrayed by Cushing. But Cushing doesn't betray him. Which one of his bank staff would call the cops. Yeah. So, in fact, according to those rather perverted rules of the game, Cushing has played by the rules, so Morel doesn't have any reason to be vengeful towards him. No. And there's equally... Cushing forgives him as well. I like that bit at the very end where he borrows the pound off the, off the guy oh, that's, to well, pay Morel back, even though Morel's clearly going to prison. But, yeah, but, <laughs> he so still owes him a quid. <laughs> what, Matt, what Matt is referring to is that before Morel reveals himself to be a bad guy, he he needs five pounds for something. No, he borrows some um, five pounds off Cushing to yeah. give to the staff as a present for their Christmas, Christmas party, yeah, which Cushing right. doesn't want to contribute to. Because he's Scrooge. Yeah, and Morel is... He's only got four quid on him. For a while, then, Morel's quite nasty to Cushing. He's he, he's making him do things that he wouldn't normally want to do, and he's just out to... He, like that moment when he slaps him, which is a, a big shot. Oh, yes, he says, take your glasses off, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. That he slaps him. Just slaps him one, and it's it's shocking. And the ridiculous thing is, for a film to shock now, 
it needs to be quite explicitly violent. But a face slap in that situation is so unexpected, it has such impact. Here's because it's Peter Cushing getting slapped. Well, I've written down, Andrew Morell is fab as the bank robber. Take off your glasses and then slap. That was wonderful. Yeah. Bear that in mind, Mr. Glasses. Yeah, now, <laughs> I've written this is beautifully made. But the thing is, what I've sort of been working my way around to is the big revelation in this. We've talked a lot about how good Peter Morell is. Sorry, yeah. Andrew Morell. Yeah. But Peter Cushing is amazing. Hmm? And I don't think he's exceptionally amazing. I think that he just generally is a really good actor. There isn't, I don't think there's a bad performance from Peter Cushing anywhere. And when you say, I say he's a great actor, people might be sort of imagining De Niro histrionics. No. What it is is these tiny subtleties, like the twitch of the face, or just the positioning of it, the way he holds his body, expresses so much. It's really, really impressive. It's like a masterclass in acting. Cushing is a master of detail, and I yes. adore him in everything. And one of my favourite things he does... Um, it's in a film called The Beast Must Die, which I'm sure you must have seen. I think, is that about a werewolf? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a scene in that where, to find out if anyone in the room is a werewolf, they all have to take a silver bullet and put it in their mouth. And it goes round and everyone puts oh, it in their mouth. That. And when it comes to Cushing, he gets out a hanky and cleans it off <laughs> and then puts it in his mouth. Well, it's it's so adorable. Just, just business. Yeah. But he is, he's extraordinary. And I, I think probably... I knew that and had forgotten. But that, that was the big take-home from this, is how amazing he was. But he's amazing. It's only a small film, and yet he's not giving it any less effort. No, but he's amazing. It's a small film, but it's perfectly constructed. It's, it's beautifully done. It, it, it's like a little machine that is so precision-engineered, and it'll always work. What I like about this film is that I, I get very frustrated when low-budget filmmakers feel the need to try and do something big. You do not need to make a big film on a low budget. There are two ways in which this is not big. It's it's set in a very few sets, so it's very small Three scale, sets, I think, and it's very short. It's only about 65 minutes. But uh, beyond that, it looks like a big budget movie because, it, because it's got be a beautiful uh, glowing kind of... The photography's great. It's The music's really good. It's a wonderful... Uh, it's a luxury product, even though it's a cheap movie. It's also got very well-drawn characters, and it's very well-written. The dialogue is fun. Yes. So it engages you. And re regardless of the fact that you're basically looking at two guys talking in one room for the most part of the film, it, it's still, it thrills, and it's still watchable. It doesn't if, if anybody is listening to all of these podcasts, I'm hoping <laughs> loads of people will be dipping in and out, but if anybody's re listening to all of these and is thinking, I might give one of these movies a go, I'd, get, I'd say this one. Mm. It's only going to be a short investment of your time, and it's one that I could really defend as just a, a perfect piece of drama. Yeah. And again, it's not terribly well known. And what frustrates me about Hammer is that I, I'm really not keen on their horror output, and it's what they're known for, and it's what they're associated <laughs> but with. But that's just because you're contrary. You're just a contrarian. No, not at all. I think if you're going to be a low-budget studio, you can make good low-budget films. You don't have to make cheesy, hammy films. And Hammer, I always think of Ham, just because of the name. So when I see Christopher Lee wandering about in his cloak... Well, just, I mean, just, we'll, have, oh, discuss, we'll have a discussion about Christopher Lee at some point, because he's yeah. a very effective on-screen as well. But but he's not... But Cushing is a completely different... Uh, just a completely different proposition. I've written down here, Cushing's beautifully subtle emotional thawing as his... Uh, oh... As his staff, oh yes, as his staff help him to conceal the crime. Because what happens is, uh, Cushing believes that his family's life is at stake. And 
he's helped this guy rob the bank and his staff, his clerks, his bank clerks, realize what's happened. And he sort of, he says, you mustn't tell the police because my family yeah. are, and, and the, you feel that this emotion come out of him towards, for the first time, he's relating to his bank staff as human beings and they are to him. And it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, as you say, you've got really good actors here. It's not just Cushing. Yeah. Um, he's supported by a very good cast. The, the bank staff, oh, I've forgotten his name again, and I just said it a minute ago. I know. It was Norman. Like Norman Nelson, I don't know. Oh, God. But while, while Matt's trying happens. to remember that, I just wanted to say that the way that Cushing's manner changes towards these people is wonderful. And he has this great line. He says, my family is all I have. And it's so... It is very true. And do you remember me saying a while back on one of these that I like films about the outsider being allowed in? Yeah. And Cushing has made himself an outsider, even in his workplace. Oh, that's very And true. by the end of it, he's welcomed in to the work family, and he's actually going to... It looks like he's probably also going to attend a Christmas do, which he's never done before. Yeah. Um, it, Your thesis holds water, which it, is very rare. This, this will crop up more and more. And in fact, the next film we do, it will crop up as well. But, oh, I see. Um, yeah. Uh, this, uh, I wish I could remember this guy's name. Well, it's while you're, I he's can, the farmer from. Of course, no, he's the fucking farmer. Look, I'm just going to open <laughs> IMDb, which I've got right open here with this cash on demand, and the cast is Peter Cushing, Norman Bird, Thank and Richard you. Vernon. You had to be there before me, didn't yeah. you? And Richard Vernon, obviously fantastic as uh, Slotty Bartfast in <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxy. Um, Were any of the women famous, Edith Sharp or Lewis Dane? <laughs> I don't recognise the names from anything else, but, I mean, it's Hammer, so they're probably in about 80 Hammer films each yeah. um, in various states of undress. The music by Wilfred Josephs. Everything about this is a classic, classic product. Now, now this is the bit where I interview you, because how, how did you discover this film and why did you add it to our pile? I was looking for Peter Cushing films. Oh, just, you were just generally on the hunt for Peter yeah. Cushing and you stumbled across this? Yeah. I, I, it was on uh, BBC very late at night once. Yeah. And I just happened to just tape anything that was on and loved it. Yeah. It, it's essentially like a, a play for today. It's not even... It is. Uh, well, it's, it's roots in the theatre seem quite uh, apparent. I, I would love to put it on as a stage production. I think it'd be great well, fun Well, we should try and get hold of the script and have a read of it. Because I'd like to see, you know, you've got a, a play and then you've got two blokes who've been paid and who've got a credit for turning it into a screenplay, which suggests that there's been a lot of changes. There might not have been. They might have got money for old rope. I do wonder how you would stage it with a vault and... I was thinking that. I think you've got to have a set with two sections because most of it takes place in the office, but you, there's also some crucial scenes in the vault. Yeah. But and that's... The trouble with the two sections of the office is that you would probably have to have all the bank staff outside doing busy work throughout the entire sequence of everything else. Yeah, so you'd actually need three, you'd, you'd need the outer section of the bank, you need the office, and you need the vault. But let's get a hold of the place. Yeah, I mean, it's as good as made. We've, we've pretty much planned that we're going to put this on next year, so that'll save <laughs> cinema, it'll save theatre, it'll bring actors, Mark, and it'll all be thanks to us. Yeah, I think that's as good a point as any to leave this <laughs> one. But I really enjoyed this one. As I yeah. say, if anybody out there wants to just dip into one of these movies, I'd say make this the one. And I'd say there's a general rule that if Peter Cushing is in a film, it's worth watching. He will yeah. always be value for money. Well, I want and to talk to all my active friends about him and find out if they know him because the exquisite subtlety of his performance is really impressive. This has been a podcast by Matt West and myself, Andrew Carmel. And very importantly... Big shout out to Joe Kramer who did the fantastic theme music which you heard at the beginning. Mm-hmm.